Father in heaven, may thy name be praised, may thy name be adored by all those that worship you in spirit and in truth. Especially in these times of difficulty, of these times of hardship, we know that it is perhaps not physical persecution that we are going through that our forefathers went through. But they were also in isolation. They were also separated from loved ones. And in, their, in these experiences, there were also many temptations. But Lord, we're thankful that Thou art our comfort in all need. Thou art our light in darkness. And if we just abide in Christ, all will be well with us. Grant us the strength to do that. And be with us even in this morning hour. Be with those that do not uh, have the opportunity to be here or cannot even connect through the technology we have. Be their comfort, strength, provider, and protector. We invite thee now to be with us as we look into your word, speak to us, um, empty your servant, that he may speak your word in its truth and its simplicity, and open our hearts that we may be willing receivers of it and doers of all these things we pray and ask. meditation, I'd like to turn to a chapter that is very familiar with us and has probably been uh, read many times and preached upon even perhaps this past week and this, uh, on Christmas Day. It's uh, the Gospel according to John chapter 1. The Gospel according to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same was in the beginning. The same, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light that lighted every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave him power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Open up to verse 14, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. This scripture is so rich with the beginning of mankind, with even the beginning of the universe, and also with the beginning of God dwelling in his creation. I've studied this word much in the concepts given in the very first 14 verses are essential in our statement of faith, in what, what we believe and why we believe it. In the first two or three um, points of our statement of faith, we, we read about, first of all, that the Word of God is, we would consider as the inerrant, infallible Word as given to men as given to humankind. It doesn't mean that humans won't make mistakes when they translate it or um, it's lost somewhere throughout the propagation of the word, but, but as given to man, his word is infallible. And therefore, it is to us the authority on our life on what we should believe and why we should believe it. The second or third, can't remember exactly point, I think it's the second, that it talks about God, who God is. It's in our weak belief statement too. And these statements do not replace the Bible by any means, but they're a summary of what we believe why we believe it. So if somebody comes up and wants to know the church of Western Rome, what do they believe? They can look it up on our website, in our publications. But it is that our God is what we would call a triune God. He is a trinity. He is a three-in-one personhood what the Bible calls the Godhead. And some of these things are very difficult to understand. But they may seem somewhat academic because this is a very high, uh, not simple uh, concept in the Word of God. But it is far more than academic. It is, first of all, the teaching that separates Christianity from all other religions. From all other religions. There is no other religion on this planet that believes in a supreme being that created the whole universe. But within this being, there are three persons. And there are reasons for that. 
was the word. And what beginning are we talking about? It is the same beginning as given in the first epistle of John. That which was from the beginning, the arche in the Greek. The arche, the beginning. And what I've learned through my uh, studies of this whole concept of the triune God was that word can have different meanings. It can be a beginning chronologically in time, or it can also be begin in the beginning as the origin of. Many people believe when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he had a beginning. Well, he had a beginning in the sense that he began a ministry on earth. But it doesn't mean that he had a beginning in existence. That is the that is one of the major points of who Christ was. And what made it so extraordinary and so supernatural and so fantastic that Jesus Christ didn't have a beginning. He was together with the Father eternally. You know, one of the um, scriptures that we, we come across is in the book of Micah. This is one of the messianic prophecies, if you will, in the book of Micah where we, we sing hymns uh, based on that. Jesus quoted these scriptures and it was in reference to the, 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 the disciples, the apostles that wrote the gospels um, reference this scripture. Micah chapter 5, I'd like to read through uh, a couple of verses. From verse 1, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod of the upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be the little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, Who's he talking about? We know who he's talking about because Matthew quotes this verse. He's talking about the Messiah. He's going to come out of Bethlehem. You know, when the wise men of this world, when the priests were debating in the book of Acts about the origin of Christ, they had this big argument, the big debate, and they were trying to convince their followers who were following the, the blind leading the blind. Uh, they were saying, you see, Jesus is from Nazareth. And there arises no prophet out of Nazareth or Galilee. No right. But they didn't recognize this scripture. They didn't realize it's possible that even though he lived in Galilee, in Nazareth, he was born in Bethlehem. 
They became wise in their own conceits, as the, the New Testament says. They became wise in their own conceits. I think it's Romans chapter 1. When we think that we know it, we've got it together, we've figured it out. Oh, right? But you missed this vital point, right? So here we have, this is the prophecy. This is the prophecy that Micah, who was a contemporary of Isaiah, he, he, he lived during the last three kings of, of that era. I think Isaiah had went through five kings that he was uh, prophesying in that era. But he was one of the, you know, and, and, and I studied this more and more, I realized there are so many scriptures that are referenced from the book of Micah in the New Testament. Even when Jesus said, um, um, you know, that the, the son shall rise against the father, and the father against the son, and the mother shall rise, the uh, daughter shall against the mother rise up, and those that are of your own household shall be your enemies. That's the treacherous times that Israel will go through. And it's written in the book of Micah. Micah was preaching the judgment that would come upon Jerusalem specifically because it had rejected the commands of God and it committed all these uh, pagan atrocities, if you will, what the pagans did. And judgment would come upon them. But then in the midst of all this, basically almost in the midst of the book, he says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands, though you are just a small town among thousands of towns in, in Judah, in Israel, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel. And then he says, whose going forth have been from old. And he doesn't stop at old. And he says, from everlasting. There is a claim, a very explicit claim, that Jesus was from everlasting and he will be into everlasting. Of whom else was this attribute made? If you go back to the book of Psalms, one of my favorites, and I guess many favorites in the book of Psalms, if I can find it. Psalm 90. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. This is Moses' psalm, probably the only psalm he ever wrote. Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth, before you even brought forth the mountains and even created the world and the earth, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So this is the beginning that he's talking about. The beginning way before he created the earth, before he created the planet, before he created the universe, he is everlasting God. And Jesus in Micah 5 says, was from old and from everlasting. That is one, if you will, 
explicit statement that Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, has the same attribute as God, that God does in His eternity. In the fact that He was an eternal being. Everything else was created. Then He goes and says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. So, the Son was with God and the Word was God. I'm jumping a little bit here, but we understand, we all believe, I'm sure we all believe that the Son was the Word, the Logos, the reason. And the same was in the beginning with God, in eternity past. Jesus said in, 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 in later on in this in this priestly, high priestly prayer, he said, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. He had this glory, this fellowship, this, this union with God, this triunion, this triunity with God. Who was the third one? The Holy Spirit. And he, it says in the next verse, made everything. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. That's very clear. Without Christ, there was nothing made that was made. Now you can go into Colossians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. You can go to Ephesians 3, 9. You can go to um, Hebrews chapter 1. He executed the plan of salvation. When God gave the word, I love, I love that from the Handel Messiah song. The Lord gave the word. It's so powerful. Great was the company of the angels. The Lord gave the word. God gave the word. God was the architect of creation. God made the plan and he sent his son to execute that plan. You read in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, we are again, same beginning. Before the world ever existed, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. And God said, let there be light. When God says, He gave a command, let there be light. The Son went and executed that, however that happened. With the agency of the Holy Spirit, we can see in chapter 1 of Genesis, He executed and brought into being the universe, the stars, the galaxies, the comets, the, the planets. And then everything, day by day, He brought in one thing after the other with His Word power of the Word of God. Make no, make no mistake, it says, without Him was nothing made that was made. Now, in Him, in this Word, in this Son of God, in this Christ, 
In him was life. Zoe. In him was life. He brought things to life. He breathed into man the breath of life God did. But the Son executed it. And the light was the light of man. In Christ he had life. And this life of his that he had, he infused into men. It was the light of men. It was what turns men, um, uh, their minds, illuminates their minds, if you will. It is what, he is what illuminates the minds of men. He is the one that the scripture says, is that word which is able to give us life, which is able to save us, First Peter 1. We're not born again by corruptible things. We're not born again by some kind of man-made thing. We're not made alive through that way. It was not by the will of man. It wasn't his plan. It wasn't his doing. It wasn't his wanting to. He could never think of something like this. He could never come up with something that would give him life from freedom from sin. Bondage to sin. It wasn't his plan. We weren't born of blood. We didn't get saved through our parents. But it was by the will of God and by his plan. And his plan, the Bible calls it in various locations, in various scriptures, it's his predestination. By his foreknowledge, he predestined us. By God's foreknowledge, in the sense that it's not just that he knew what we were going to do, but he had this in his mind before it even happened, uh, 6,000 years after Adam and Eve fell due to sin, God had already in his mind, in his foreknowledge, what he was going to do to restore men back to union with him. So it wasn't the will of man, it was the will of God. And he even promised Adam and Eve in the garden, in the presence of that snake, that serpent, that through the seed of the woman, you might, you might bruise his heel. You may do something to, to, to the one, the redeemer that will come and bruise his heel in the sense that he would have to die on the cross for sin. But he's going to crush your head. And through that very experience of dying on the cross, he crushed the head of Satan. And that was prophesied in Genesis 3, if I remember correctly. He would crush his head through the seed of a woman. And Galatians says that in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, he would come through the seed of a woman. He, she would bring in the Messiah. And that is why, perhaps, this is the uh, how I have learned to understand it in the book of Daniel, I think it says that he was the desire of women. The desire of women because 
Many wanted to be the bearer of the Messiah, even though they didn't perhaps fully understand that he would come from God through the body of a woman. And it says, in him was this light, the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. This theme is repeated through John. Later on it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. In John 3 he says, Men don't come to the light, because they'll expose their evil deeds. And that word comprehend, it can be understood according to, to um, usages of this word. The, the light comprehended it not. The light frustrated it. The light was resisting. Men, men resisted this light. And the darkness comprehended it not. Men were resisting and pushing away this light. Romans uh, 1 says that because when they knew the truth, when God was so evident to them through His creation, through His revelation, through all that He made, they held this truth in unrighteousness. They pushed it back. They didn't want to have a part with God. If it was up to man, they want to get rid of God, but they can't. They keep on slandering Him. They keep on blaspheming Him, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2. And they do that through the, through the Jews, through the disobedient Jews. They malign God through the disobedient Jews who were not acting as children of the Father. And, and this light was, if you will, trying to be resisted. But there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And the same came for a witness to be a witness of the light that all through him might believe. John was that herald. John was that forerunner that went ahead of the king that was declaring to all the people, make way his, make your path straight for this king. Lower the high places, raise the low places, make a plain way for the Lord, for the Messiah. The same came for a witness, to be a witness of the light that all men through him might believe. John was not that light, but was sent to be a witness of that light. Verse 8 says, He was the one that in the end, before he was to die, would say, when people came and said, there's this other man here, he's doing all these all these wonders and, and miracles. And John said, He must decrease now. And I must decrease. I've had my role, my ministry, is now fulfilled. And he knew that perhaps at that time he his hand is going to have a short life, and he, and he ended up having his head chopped off. We know the account in the Gospels. That he must increase, I must increase now. As 
is the true light which lights every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and get this, he was in the world and the world was made by him and yet the world didn't know him. Something so Doesn't that sound utopia in, in the heathen's words of thinking? 
of our Lord and of his Christ. But they shall sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. What promises he's given. For all people will walk, everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. What a bliss. Compared to the to the horrors and the, and the depravity that are in this world. Every day you hear something different coming up in this world that and you never see, cease to, to see the, the horror of it. What they would do to, to mankind, what mankind will do to mankind. And they will make her that halted a remnant and her that was cast far off as a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. Paints a beautiful picture of the restoration when God, when Christ will restore all things, as is written in 1 Corinthians 15. And then he says, this is leading up to chapter 5, don't forget, right? And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee it will come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. If you go to Genesis chapter 35, this is the, if you will, the mother of the 12 tribes of Israel. In Genesis chapter 35, this is speaking of Rachel. Remember, this was the, this was the town of David, the shepherd boy. And this is also the town where Rachel was buried, not far from there. It says, And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. Ephrathah. That was another, the ancient name, if you will, of Bethlehem. Ephrathah. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. You will, you will have this son that you're going to, that you're in travail with now. And it came to pass, as her soul was departing, as she was dying, or she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephraim, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillow upon her grave, and this is the pillar of Rachel's grave this day. At the time of this writing, whenever this was written after the fact, he says this is the pillar that was still there. And it is believed that they say this is still, they found, they know where the place is where Rachel was buried in, in Palestine today, in Israel today. And Israel journeyed. 
and spread his tent beyond the Tower of Edo. Now this was fascinating to me, because it talks about the Tower of Edo. Edo in the, in the Hebrew is flock, the sheep flock. And in Matthew, in, in uh, Micah chapter 4, he says, And thou, O Tower of Edo, of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee it shall come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, is it a coincidence? As I followed this through, I realized through, through the scholars, Alfred Edersheim, he was a, a very famous uh, scholar who was Jewish that converted to Christianity. And he, in his life and times of Jesus the Messiah, he gave uh, uh, an account how the, the, the Jews of that time that wrote the, the Mishnah and, and the commentaries on it, referred to this place will be where the Messiah would come. Because in this tower, in this sheep tower, if you will, where the shepherds used to bring their, 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 their little lambs after they were born for protection, they would put the lambs in a manger, a feeding trough for sheep. This is not something that I've made up. This is something that I just... It was, it was fascinating. Whether it was like that or not, but it's fascinating. Because it was a place where Rachel died. It was her town. It was David's town, the shepherd. And now we see Micah prophesying that to this tower will come the stronghold of the daughter of Zion. Unto thee shall come even the first of in the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. And the question comes, you know, the wise men had the star that directed them to Bethlehem all the way from Babylon, as we heard on Friday. But what did the shepherds have? They saw this glorious host of angels in, in the heavens crying out, Hosanna in the highest. And they knew exactly where to go. The Mishnah says that this field of the shepherds was the place where this very special group of shepherds that were associated with the temple, some were saying that they were priestly shepherds, that they were raising flocks for the sacrifices. They were raising flocks for the sacrifices. There were two sacrifices, lambs, one in the morning, one in the evening, every day of the year, 365, 366 days of the year, they would have to have perfect, unblemished lands. And the priest would come and inspect them before they would take them back to the temple. It's about a, a mile or so of journey. But, Bethlehem is just south of Jerusalem. I went looking for it once with my friend and we were traveling through to find where is Bethlehem. It was a very uh, violent area back then in 1987, 1988. And we just drove, we just, we missed it. Maybe because it was at night, but it wasn't far from Jerusalem. And this tower of the 
clock was called the Tower of Migdal. Migdal or Idar. Migdal Idar, the Tower of the Flock in the book of Genesis. You know, at first the, the Christmas story seems so simple, very cute, and very nice, the nativity scene, but what went into this play? Not only, perhaps, that this 